0: CHAPTER NINE OF COUNTDOWN by Kurt Becker, S.J. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. 17. The big rain began Sunday evening after supper with a light, hesitant sprinkle. The day had begun bright and sunny, with clean blue skies, and the air fragrant with the scent of spring. Ned, Mike, Walter Drew, and a couple of the other boys on the basketball team had met by chance as they were coming out of the nine o'clock mass, and had organized an impromptu picnic. There followed a flurry of telephone calls from Father Bolton's house, notifying assorted parents, and then they clambered into Mike's car and set off for the artificial lake formed near Dalhart by a dam across Mustang Creek. They got breakfast in a drive-in on Route 87, and Ned felt a twinge of excitement as they parked their car near one of the monster Best trucks, whose driver was sitting at the counter drinking coffee. He wondered whether the truck contained any vital part of the spaceship, and looked away guiltily afraid that his expression might somehow betray a secret knowledge the water was too cold for swimming but the grass looked so soft and the sun was so warm that they took off their shirts removed their shoes and stockings and began an informal softball game with a bat and an old ball they found in the car trunk presently a group of youngsters from dalhart showed up were delighted with the idea and a speedy game of barefoot ball went on until they were all pleasantly fatigued They waited in the icy water, basked in the warm sunshine, slapping away at the mosquitoes that came whining around, ate fairly tasteless sandwiches with voracious young appetites, and finally started for home, tired, happy, and badly sunburned. Ned's sunburn made it hard for him to find a comfortable spot in bed that night, but finally, soothed by the gentle sound of the rain, he fell into a restless sleep. The spaceship was falling into a strange, red-violet world where lofty mountains kept changing size and shape with a horribly hungry sort of vitality. Ned Bartley, spaceman, fought desperately to avert the impending disaster. A swarm of meteors drummed against the sides of his ship, and apparently there was a breach somewhere because he could hear the air escaping with a howling noise. Desperately his fingers pressed against the firing studs and the answering roar of his rockets filled the control room with thunder. Lights blinked on the panel before him, and suddenly there was a blinding flash and a vast explosion. Ned sat up in bed, wide awake. The French door had swung out, and it caught on the latch that kept it open, and the white curtains were fluttering and snapping wildly in the wind. A torrential rain thrummed against the roof above his head, and came through the French doors into the room. A burst of lightning, accompanied by an ear-splitting crackle of thunder, dazzled him. For a moment he sat there trying to shake off the vivid reality of the dream and then he was on his feet, padding across the wet floor to the French door. The rain was icy, and in an instant he was drenched. In the darkness he had trouble finding the catch, but finally, soaked to the skin, with his wet pajamas sticking clamorily to his sunburned body, he got the door closed and fastened. He switched on the light and groaned at the sight of the puddle on the floor. Owen would have things to say about that unless he did something about it immediately chilled and shivering he got a couple of soiled towels from the hamper in the bathroom and mopped up the puddle drying off the floor as best he could then he shed his dripping pajamas wiped himself off rubbing tenderly because of his sunburn and hunted unsuccessfully for a dry pair of pajamas while his skin roughened with goose flesh after a few moments he gave up the futile search snapped off the light and crawled between the sheets to lie there shivering violently with a chill that reached the marrow of his bones it was not until he had lain for a long time, curled up on his side with his knees against his chest and his arms around his legs, several blankets piled upon his shaking body that he began to thaw out and feel warmth creeping back into his chilled flesh. In the morning Ned awakened with a throbbing headache, a stuffy nose, a sore throat, and stiff, sore muscles all over his body. Outside the rain fell monotonously in a steady, heavy downpour. He was sitting on the bed in his trousers, struggling awkwardly to put on his socks. When Deborah knocked, as she had done every morning since their talk about daily mass, to see that he was up. "'I'm up,' Ned called, his voice a hoarse croak. For a moment there was silence, and then she knocked again. "'Ned, you hear me? Are you up?' He walked stiffly to the door, one sock half on, one foot bare, and opened it. "'I'm up,' he said hoarsely, with what he hoped was a pleasant smile. "'My goodness!' Her hand flew to her throat. You all right? You look like death warmed over. She placed a cold hand on his forehead and drew it quickly back, her eyes wide with sudden anxiety. You're burning up, Ned. You get right back into that bed this instant, you hear? You're not going anywhere today. Not in this rain, you're not. Meekly he obeyed her. He felt terrible. Later he dozed, and then the doctor came and put his cold little gadget against Ned's hot body, listening, looked at his throat, and shook his head. You stay in that bed at least three days, boy, he said sternly. Don't get out of it for anything except to use the toilet, and get some pajamas on you. I'll get you some medicine. You'll be all right after a while. The medicine was a bitter liquid and pills. Ned dozed and dreamed irrational crazy stuff. He burned up and froze alternately, and sipped the hot broth Deborah brought him from time to time. All in all, he put in a thoroughly miserable Monday and Tuesday, and all the time the rain fell steadily without let-up, wednesday the fever was gone and his nose began to feel smaller his throat less dry the rain still fell thursday he felt infinitely better and a little restless in bed the doctor appeared listened to him again through his stethoscope nodded told him to keep up the good work and stay in bed till saturday and disappeared the rain fell steadily all day and all night friday saturday he finally got up weak and unsteady on his legs but glad to be out of bed his nose and throat felt normal again and he knew the cold was done Grip it was, Deborah informed him, and Doc said lucky it wasn't pneumonia. He said you're not to step outside this house until the weather's clear again, or he won't be responsible. Ned sat and read and listened to the radio and looked at the rain. Deborah came in and they sat and talked pleasantly during the afternoon. "'You feel well enough to have supper with Owen and me?' she finally asked. "'Sure,' he smiled, wondering what was on her mind. "'This rain's made everybody jittery,' she said carefully. "'Your Uncle Owen's mighty edgy these days, Ned. "'Please try not to say anything that'll start an argument.' "'She flushed and went on. "'I know you always try not to argue, Ned, "'but please try extra hard tonight. "'Remember, you've been mighty sick.' "'All right, Deborah,' he smiled. "'I'll be extra careful.' "'He was, but it didn't work. "'Owen somehow got on the subject of foreigners. Forrest Sherlock Kingsley had given the sons of the vigilantes "'a semi-religious slant,' with many references to Satan and Belial, and it had gradually become clear that foreigners were, along with alcohol and tobacco, one of the great evils unleashed upon humanity by Satan. It was up to the pure-blooded Americans to counteract this satanic threat. It was, of course, not quite clear just who were pure-blooded Americans. Ned gathered that Mexicans, Jews, Negroes, Catholics, and anyone who disagreed in any way with the sons of the vigilantes were foreigners. Owen was very vehement on the subject. Not only that, since they had become a son, Owen's language had changed, and his talk was sprinkled liberally with expressions that were coarse and extremely vulgar. It was language better suited to an army barracks than a dining room, and Ned found himself getting more and more annoyed. Deborah was obviously extremely uncomfortable, and she kept silent, looking from Ned to her husband with pleading eyes. Ned finally felt that he was reaching the breaking point, so he interrupted the diatribe, aimed at the dirty Pollock and the little spick. And said, very quietly, that he was feeling very tired, and would Owen mind if he went to lie down for a few minutes. "'Can't take it, eh?' Owen glared at him. "'Can't stand to know that your friends are foreigners instead of pure-blooded Americans.' Something snapped inside Ned, and he was horrified to hear his voice, cold and cutting. "'No, it's just that I keep remembering. My mother was Hungarian, and I distinctly recall my father saying that his grandmother came from Cuba and was probably part Negro.' For an instant there was a terrible silence as Owen sorted out the relationships. Then the blood drained from his face, and rushed back until he was almost purple. His lips worked silently for a moment, and when his voice came it was a strangled squeak. "'Why you?' he swallowed, making a visible effort, and regained a measure of control over his vocal cords. He cast around, obviously for words, and then in a hissing snarl flung them at Ned. "'You—you, orphan!' His chair fell crashing to the floor as he stood up, and lifted a quivering hand to strike the boy. "'Owen!' Deborah's cry was almost a scream. "'Don't hit him!' The man turned toward her, and the full fury of his anger spewed out over her. "'So you're against me, too,' Owen spat the words out like bullets, and she cringed against the back of her chair, her face wearing a look of terror. "'That's right, protect him. You don't have any kids of your own. Take this, sniveling brat.' He was in a positive frenzy of rage, and suddenly, as if a dam had burst somewhere, releasing a pent-up flood, the words came out of him in a spout of frustration and hate. Ned was appalled. Obscenities and insults poured out of Owen in a filthy torrent that was sickening. Then Deborah, her face like marble, her eyes suddenly chips of ice, stood up with a sort of majestic dignity, and leaned forward in the direction of the furious man, her hands resting on the table, her head erect and proud just a moment please she said softly her voice quivering with outrage just a moment owen something about her look about the sound of her voice dried out the torrent of owen's abuse and his voice trailed away to silence just a moment owen she said again in the same quivering deadly voice the only reason we have no son is because you made him try to swim across the lake you made him owen he begged you not to but you had to be able to brag that your boy could swim farther than anybody else. It's your fault we have no children. She turned to Ned, her eyes pools of anguish and pity. I'm sorry, son, you'd better go to bed. Then she walked slowly to her bedroom and softly closed the door, leaving a sort of terrible, exhausted silence behind her. Owen gave a strangled cry and flung himself out of the room into the rainy night, the door slamming flatly behind him and there was alone in the stillness, with his hand shaking, and the drumming sound of the rain in his ears. End of chapter 9